when you get your Bible out, would you turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? As I was praying about this evening's service, uh, it occurs to me that, that as people, as, not just as preachers, but as people, we like, to, we like to say something that people haven't heard or in a way that people haven't heard. If we were to lean on our flesh, we'd want to be entertaining all the time. But that's not necessarily what the Lord has asked us to do. Not that, not that His Word is boring. It's exciting. It's exciting to a hungry person. Now, if you're hardened in your heart, if you're, if you're just kind of, if you've sat in church all your life and never done anything with the words you've heard, you'll probably be bored by anything that anybody says unless it's got some humor or a, 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 a good amount of movie clips. But if you're a believer who's hungry for the word, you're going to be excited by the word. Nevertheless, that attitude leads us to want to preach something new all the time. And as I was praying for tonight's service, there were a lot of things that we've gone over in the past month, month and a half that the Lord really brought up again. So we're going to read some of those sections of Scripture again, but we're going to piece them together because I think there's a theme that the Holy Spirit's trying to get across to us. And one of those themes is, I want you to fall in love again with the gospel. Now, we always talk about falling in love with Jesus, and that's awesome. That's, that's, that's like the first thing you've got to do. Fall in love with Jesus. When you fall in love with Jesus, at, rather you see his love for you. When you realize his love for you, you begin to fall in love with him. The scripture says we love because he first loved us. But not only that, but we are meant to not just fall in love with Jesus as the concept or as the man, but we're meant to also fall in love with the idea of the gospel and realize it is good news. Yeah. It didn't ever stop being good news. If we watch enough news, and I'm talking about television news now, you'll get the impression that this isn't good news. Because the loudest people, the people that the media likes to cover, are usually the craziest people. This is is the way it goes, right? Media doesn't want to see sane Christians speak their supernatural beliefs. This is not what they want. They want to see some crazies that we can all have a good chuckle at. And so because of that, the world has come to believe that that the message of the gospel is quite a strange one, that the message of the gospel is not about Jesus reconciling the world to himself, but rather it's about Jesus telling the world, get away from me, I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's not the message of Jesus, is it? No. So we're going to read once again Second Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to understand our part in the message of Jesus. Before we read that, I want to quote to you something you know well. As Peter writes this, he says, we are a peculiar people. Remember, he said we are a holy nation, a peculiar people, a people set apart for God's own possession. We're a royal priesthood. Sorry, I skipped that. A people set apart for God's own possession so that we may proclaim. Now, did you hear that? He says, we're all of these things. And then he says, a so that. When he says, so that, it means there's a reason for all of this. There's a reason that you're called a royal priesthood. There's a reason you're called a holy nation. There's a reason you're called a people for God's own possession. And one of those reasons is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there is a reason for all of this. And one of the big ones is so that you can proclaim it. That that requires saying something, doesn't it? 
That requires using your vocal cords. That requires being bold at times. But do you know what? When you fall in love, when you really realize how great this gospel is, the shyest people share it with joy. And the boldest people, if they don't grasp it, will be ashamed of the gospel. I've seen some loud-mouthed people who will jump into every conversation that you'll ever have, always giving their opinion about everything, no matter how stupid it is. And that when you bring these people along with you to tell people about Jesus, they clam up. You ever noticed this? Have you been with some of these people that, that are just like loud all the time, obnoxious, and then they begin to talk to people about Jesus, and they're gone, and they don't want to talk about it. Or somebody asks them, and they start to, well, I mean, technically, you know, and they don't have anything to say. Why is that? Because it's not about natural personality. Jesus didn't just say, well, there are some of you that happen to be loud. There are some of you that happen to just have no filter. You're the ones I'm going to use to preach. Now, you quiet ones, you're going to mop the floors. You're going to change the toilet paper so that the loud ones can preach. That's not what it is. He sent all of us out to preach the gospel, to give the good news. And you know what? The quietest little lamb, the one that can't speak out of everything, he's got boldness for them. And the scripture says that the wicked man, he runs away when no one's even chasing him. But the righteous, they're as bold as a lion. And so people who naturally are shy have a, have a quiet personality. Don't worry. That's who you are in the flesh. Don't worry. That's who you are without the Spirit of God. That may be your personality. That may be your nature. But the Holy Spirit comes to help us do what we couldn't do. The grace of God is there to do what we never could pull off. And so if you're quiet, if you're shy, if you're embarrassed easily, don't worry. Rely on the Holy Spirit. And He's got boldness for you. He's got utterance for you. He's got open doors for you that no man can shut. And He'll shut doors that no man can open. And so we have confidence to be able to share the gospel. When it's good news, you're ready to share it. You're not embarrassed by it. You remember when the Canadian men's hockey team won the gold medal. How could we forget? 2011, or 2010 actually, Vancouver. Yeah, 1972. Good memory. That, was a dip, that wasn't the Olympics either. But, but you're, you're, I mean, way to go, Mom. Thank you. She's not a hockey fan. She knows. 2010, the Canadian men won the gold medal. And you'll remember, as soon as it happened, you heard it about 10 times from 10 different people. It didn't matter if they were shy or if they were bold. They just figured everybody was going to be happy about this, so we're going to spread the news. Because it's good news, you want to share it. You know the kind of news we're embarrassed about sharing? Bad news. We don't want to be the messenger that somebody shoots, right? So when, when news isn't that good, we're embarrassed by it. You know, chances are, if you don't want to invite people to, to Sunday morning church, you probably have an issue with Sunday morning church that you haven't worked out. I mean, it probably is. There's something about it that you're embarrassed by. You need to get that, get that straightened out because either you believe that the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit or you believe that He's the Holy Spirit sometimes, but He's just an embarrassing stepdad at other times. Like, you know, we don't want to bring people. He might do something. You remember, 
You know, you ever, every now and then you have somebody talk to the pastor and go, can we just try to keep it a little bit more tame? What do you mean? Like, you know, maybe don't prophesy over anybody. Oh, okay. Well, and, and then also, you know, perhaps we could be calmer when we're praying for people. Maybe don't pray for people at the front because, you know, you, usually happens. People start getting all crazy. And if they get healed, do you know what they do? They start screaming and things. And then they get really excited or they might fall down. And that's embarrassing. You know, so we try to get away from these things. But don't you realize somebody who's hungry for the Lord, they may not know what he looks like, but they'll, but they'll get excited when they see him. I mean, the book of 1 Corinthians says that people come in the back door and you're prophesying to one another. They fall on their face and say the, the God is in this place. It's it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So when we know it's good news, we're happy to share it. So what's the solution? Pull up our bootstraps, tighten our belt and say, well, we should share the gospel because we're supposed to. And the pastor said to do it. And he's going to ask for testimonies. And if I haven't tried, I've got nothing to share. And Oh, I'm going to be a bad Christian. I'm going to stand before Jesus. And he goes, did you share the gospel? I'm going to say no. And so we, we think this is just some sort of duty that has been thrust upon us. That's our cross to bear. When you know that's not the cross you have to bear. This is the good stuff. Sharing the good news. That's the exciting part. You know, sometimes it leads to some unexciting things. There's some people who don't receive it well. But it's good news. We don't just say, well, I, gotta, I just got to do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a Christian. If that's your attitude, then, then, then just step back for a moment. Step back and fall in love with the gospel again. Begin to open your Bible to those verses that speak of the wonderful things that Jesus did for mankind. The redemption that was brought about through his blood for us is so amazing and so beautiful that had we every song in the world to rewrite and sing, we wouldn't be able to fully describe how great it is. We couldn't really say how awesome it is with all the words in the English language. And so this is the fun part when you really realize it's good news. Otherwise, it's embarrassing. So let's read what 2 Corinthians 5 says. We're going to start in verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves... Now, we read this a few weeks ago, and we're going to read it again. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. You know, you get born again, and the Scripture says the, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a, it's not a thing that is given to you by compulsion. It's not a, an emotion that you need to work up. Do you know the love of Christ is not an emotion? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit. It is not the emotional fuzzy love because that's not the love that Jesus felt for you. If Jesus just had fuzzy warm feelings about you, that wouldn't have saved you. For God so loved the world that he put our picture on his refrigerator. That's not enough. For God so loved the world that he sent you a Valentine's card. That's not enough. For God so loved the world that he wrote mushy poetry about you. No, it's not enough. The love of God is not emotional. It is active. It is real. It's a fruit. It's a gift. It's grace. It's wonderful. And so when the love of God was shed abroad, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we don't have to work up that love. We don't have to play a video of the lost people with emotional music. 
And then followed up by an old Ray Bolts, thank you for giving to the Lord. For us to somehow work up some tears and go, I gotta share Jesus with those people. Those songs are great. I'm not knocking them. But we don't have to do that to work something up. That was that would be what we'd have to do if it was emotional. If it was an emotional love, we'd have to work it up. Have to get Josh up here and tell me some stories about the lost people in the oil patch that need Jesus and oh my goodness. But we don't need that. But if you do. But if we do, you're there. <laughs> nice. We have the love of Christ poured out in the Holy Spirit. So the more you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the less you're able to resist that love. And the more you've got that love, the more it controls your actions. Having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore all died. That's why it's good news because we're able to share with everybody Jesus died for you. Just because he died for everybody doesn't mean that everybody will receive that free gift, but it does mean that the free gift is for everyone. Do you understand what I mean? We realize, and we'll read later in Romans 10, how it just didn't automatically happen. that You just got born again the day Jesus died. You had to receive him. You had to call on the name of the Lord. You had to confess him as Lord. These are, these are things that, that began our walk. These are things that got us to that place, but... One died for all. No one's excluded in that. So the gift is for everyone. Whether they receive it or not, it's up to them. But the gift is for everyone. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one, no one, no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. That means I don't recognize you according to your ability. I don't recognize you according to your personality. I don't recognize you according to your past. I don't recognize you according to your natural skills that you brought to the table. I recognize you by the grace of God that has been given you to do whatever you're called to do. And that grace differs. We receive the same grace to get born again. But we have, as, as 2 Peter says, we've got different grace on us to do the individual things. It's the same grace, but it manifests in a different way for each of us. So some have grace to be a preacher. Some have grace to be a, a, a giver. Some have, I mean, well, we all have grace to be preachers and givers. But what I'm talking about is some have grace to be like a preacher all the time, stand up in front of congregations. Some have a grace to be an encourager. Some have received grace to serve. These are all things that the scripture talks about. But we've all received it. And we don't recognize anyone according to their natural ability. We recognize them after the spirit. And that means you too. That means yourself. You don't recognize yourself after the flesh anymore. You have to apply the same grace to yourself that you apply to everyone else. And it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. They've passed away. And we don't stop there. It says, Behold. We've talked about this before. What does behold mean? Look. Gaze, stare, fix your eyes on this, put your thoughts on this. New things have come. We've talked about this several times, but it bears repeating that it doesn't say, behold, old things have passed away. 
The old things have passed away, but that's not what you're meant to fix your gaze on. What do you fix your gaze on? The new things that have come. Isn't it great that God cleaned out the attic, but he didn't just leave you empty? He cleaned out all the old things, but he didn't just leave it spacious. He didn't leave a vacuum in your life. He fills it with new things. Behold, look, new things have come. And it says all these things, which things? Those new things that came when you got born again. All these things are from God. Who has given, who, sorry, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it says all these things are from God. And how did he get you all of these things? How did he impart them to you? By reconciling you to himself. And when he reconciled you to himself, you had access to all he had and all he, you needed and all he wanted for you. All of those things were freely given because you've been brought back to him. He reconciled you. He brought you back. And everything that separated us from God was done away with. Then it says he gave us a ministry. He wrapped it up, put, it, put a bow on it, and gave you ministry. It's his ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. What, is to, what does it mean to minister something? To minister something means to serve it to someone, doesn't it? When a waiter waits on you, they are ministering to you. Hebrews says that the angels are sent to minister to those who would inherit salvation. Ministry means serving something, means, means taking something that's given to you to give to somebody else, to, to present it to them, to give it to them, to administer it to them. So when I minister, when I've got a ministry of reconciliation, that means that I've been given a way to bring you back to God. Now we know that's through Jesus Christ, isn't it? And yet Jesus Christ put it in your hands to minister to the people. He could have ministered that to everyone himself, but he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How? How do we minister this ministry? How do we do that? Let's read it. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. I love that. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Everything Jesus did, he did because it was the desire of God to bring us back. And it says this, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the way to minister reconciliation primarily is through the word of reconciliation. What does that mean? You've got to open your mouth, guys. God has given you. But this here's the good part. You don't have to come up with the word of reconciliation. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to study like a quiz, although you should study. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. But he's given you the word. He's committed to you the word of reconciliation. He is, think about this. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Right? And then Jesus said, I pray that you and you would be in me. I mean, you would be in them and I'd be in them and they would be in me just as you have been with me this whole time. That just as God was in Christ, so he's in us, right? So if God was in Christ bringing the world back to himself, don't you think that God is in you? 
reconciling the world to himself. Don't you think he can do that through you? In fact, if you doubt it, let's read the next verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal. What's the next two words? Through us. God is making his appeal through us. He doesn't go around you. He doesn't skip the middleman. He makes an appeal through us. Once again, you can't really be quiet, can you? (laughs) Or how is he going to make his appeal? Now, yes, we know that our actions are a way to preach as well. We know that the love of God doesn't just show in in words, but in deed. We know that that Paul said that in the power of the Spirit, through signs and wonders, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? That means I did it with my words, but also there was power, there were signs and wonders that preached as well. So we know it's not just through your words, but you can't eliminate the fact that you've got to speak up, that he's making an appeal through you. But doesn't that take the pressure off? Doesn't it take the pressure off when you realize that God is making an appeal through us? It sure takes it off me. I don't think I have to go so far to try to convince somebody in my own intellect, my own understanding, and my own strength. God's making his appeal through me. I can do that. You can do that. We can step into any situation and go, go, God, make your appeal. Use me. Use my mouth. That's not just like Scripture stuff, that's, that's today. That's not book of Acts, that's today. He can give you the words to say, the way to say it, the love to back it up. And it says, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. A few weeks ago, we also talked about, in Second Peter 3, we talked about the Scripture that talks about why Jesus has not yet come to take His church. And, and Peter, through the Holy Spirit, says this. He says that a lot of people have been mocking. And he says, in the last days, many people will mock you and say, where is the promise of his coming since the days of our forefathers? Things have remained as they always were. And, and it says all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. But then he goes on to say that it, it's not about slowness. He's not slow concerning his promises. He's patient. See, there's a difference. Do you know what the difference is? When you're selfish, you think he's slow. When you think it's all about you, you say, why don't you just come back? I hate this place. Just get me out of here. I want to go. I want to go where the streets are gold. I want to go. I want to go be with you. I don't want to have to deal with sickness. I don't want to have to deal with people. I don't want to have to deal with the grocery store line. Just take me away. When you're selfish, you're like, you're so slow, God. Why do you wait? But when you think and you have that love that he has for the world, remember he uses two words to describe why he waits. Patience and long-suffering. Because when you see the way he looks at the world, you say, Lord, you're not slow because you're lazy. You're patient. And it says desiring that all men, all men, that none should perish, but that all men, would come to the knowledge of him. All would come to repentance. This is the thing. He is not slow. He's patient. But then when we realize that, we realize that we have a place in this, right? 
if the Lord delays so that more people will come to repentance, in other words, more people will be reconciled to God, He waits so that more can be reconciled, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, who's got to start moving? We do. We're the ones given the ministry of reconciliation. And he's holding off so that we can complete the task. Now, now don't think he, he doesn't know when that day is. He knows when the day is. He's already seen it. But we've got a part to play. We play a part in the reconciliation. And that's good. I want you to read in Romans 10 just for a moment. I know we're skipping around a lot tonight, but that's because we're bringing a lot of thoughts that we've studied in depth together in one meal, I guess you'd say. I'm going to read you something. As you're turning to Romans 10, can I read you from Romans 1? Paul says this in Romans 1, verse 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. You hear that? I'm eager to preach. For my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes. So what's the qualification? Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. You see, Paul did not have to screw up the courage to preach the gospel. Even though he faced fierce persecution. He was still eager to preach it. Because he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Because he believed in that gospel was the power of God. You're not ashamed of something you believe has real power. So in Romans 10, we won't read the whole thing for, for time's sake, but in Romans 10:3, let me just recap. He's, he started out by talking about, in, in, the, in the beginning of the chapter, he started out by talking about his brethren. Now, these are the Jewish people that he's speaking of. And and Romans goes into great detail explaining how this message is for Jew and Gentile and how God has not forgotten his people and his his chosen people, the Israelites, and God has not forgotten you, the Gentiles. And in Romans 10.1, he says his prayer, he's still praying for these Jewish brothers that he had. He said, here's their problem, seeking to establish their own righteousness. They neglect the righteousness that is of God. Trying to earn their way, they fail to take hold of the righteousness that He freely offers. Because earlier He said, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when we talk about the word of reconciliation, sometimes the word of reconciliation does have to include the fact that you cannot do this on your own. That's why the word of reconciliation isn't simply, hey, we're all okay with God now. Everybody's okay. 
This is good. It's good news. We're all okay. He's not mad anymore. Just go on with your business. We're fine. Because you know what that leaves people doing? They're still relying on their own righteousness. They think, oh, suddenly I'm, I'm living a good enough life. I knew I was doing a good job. But when we say, no, 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 no. As long as you're holding on to your own good deeds as your way to God, you're neglecting his way that he's made for you. Let go of your own self. Let go of the flesh. Let go of your own strength and grab on to the free gift that is through Jesus Christ. That he freely offers. And through Christ, you're going to be brought back to him. And you're going to become a new creature. And all those old things are going to pass away. But even better than that, new things are going to come. It says this in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Where is the word? It's in your mouth and in your heart. The first thing he says is the word is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Another translation says, will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. So far, this sounds great to me. This sounds like something I'm ready to share. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Without somebody to speak up. And how will they preach unless they are sent? You say, well, I haven't been sent. Nobody sent me out. Nobody laid hands on me and sent me to the nations. What about when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth? And He said, all authority. Therefore, Go! Does that sound like we were sent? Well, I wasn't sent with the same amount of power. He said all authority on heaven and on earth. There's no authority left out of that. Has been given to me. Then he uses that magic word, therefore, which ties it all together, which means I'm not sending you out as a bunch of idiots who don't have any protection. You're running around naked trying to tell people about me. I'm sending you out with the authority I have, all of the authority I've given so that you may be, go and make disciples, that you may cast out evil spirits. You'd lay, on the ha- lay hands on the sick and they would recover. All of these things. How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, when's the last time we really thought about this and said, this is the message I'm preaching in Lloyd Mall. 
This is the message I'm preaching in the superstore aisles. This is the message I'm preaching as I fix somebody's car. This is the message I'm preaching as I do somebody's hair. Now, I don't do all these things if you're asking me. (laughs) He's really talented. No, I'm not. This is uh, trying to include us all. When we say what we're bringing is good news of good things, it sounds good. Now, who's calling your feet beautiful? Well, certainly God is calling your feet beautiful. But don't you think... In fact, let's go back. You know what? Let's do something fun. Let's go back to where this verse first comes from. In Isaiah 52. I'm going to take you back in time. Can we go back in time? We're going to go back to a time where all the people of Israel were held captive. Now, many of the tribes went to the Assyrians. The tribe of Judah went to Babylon. And they were exiled from their homeland. It says that the people of Judah in the book of Psalms is that it said that they sat by the rivers of Babylon and they wept as they remembered Zion. They wept. These people were taken from their homeland. You've got to understand this homeland wasn't just like we think of Canada as a homeland. This was the land God had given them. When you go back and you read the promises that God gave to Moses, he said, I will bless you in the land that I am giving you. Imagine being taken out of that land, taken away from the temple where you've come to worship your God. As they sat by the rivers of Babylon, they wept. They said, we hung up our harps and our Babylon captors would mock and they'd say, why don't you sing us one of those songs from Zion? And they said, how can we sing a song of Zion in a foreign land? You don't get it. We can't sing songs of Zion in this place. I said, may may our tongues cleave to the roof of our mouth. We can't do it. Can you imagine how miserable they are? How homesick they would be as they remembered Zion. Isaiah prophesies about something. And, you know, like many of the Old Testament prophets, it had many layers to it. When he prophesies this, yes, he prophesies about the captives being brought home, as they did in the year around 533, when Cyrus let them go back to their own country. But, of course, he's talking about a future kingdom where Jew and Gentile will be together under the reign of the Messiah. But he's also speaking about this present gospel because Romans 10 quotes it. So we know it's not just for the Jews coming home. It's for us too that there was a captivity that they didn't understand, which was a captivity to, the, to sin, to death, to the law of sin and death, that we were held captive to that and that Jesus set us free, brought us back. And in Hebrews it says, lest you think that Zion is just a physical place, in Hebrews says, you have not come to the mountain that, that was blazing with fire. You've not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Zion, the mountain of the living God, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. It doesn't say you're going to get there. It says you're there right now. We've come to Zion. We've been brought home. Don't you see? He brought us from all over the world to Zion. So this had many meanings. It had meanings for them right then. It had meanings for the captives coming home, but it also has meaning for us, or else the book of Romans wouldn't have quoted it. And then he says in chapter 52 of the book of Isaiah, 
Listen to this. Awake. Awake. Clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord, my Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now he's speaking of the nation of Israel. And he says, now therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause. Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who's speaking. Here I am. Listen to that. God is saying, in that day, I'm the one who's speaking. Here I am. And certainly they saw that when they came home to their captives, the captives came home back to Jerusalem. But didn't we also see that when he said, here I am through the person of Jesus Christ, who was called the Messiah, who was called Jesus, Jehovah saves, who the people said, Hosanna, the Lord save, who also was called Emmanuel, God is with us. Didn't God cry out, here I am through Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Isn't that awesome? Now, like I said, this has got multiple meanings. To them at the moment, they, they can picture. They can picture the heralds that would come ahead, that would run over the mountains and spread the news of their deliverance from captivity. Can you imagine the captives hearing this and going, how beautiful are the feet of those who come and tell us we're free. But he says of him as well. And, and also we can see how Jesus brought this message. And how beautiful was his feet. But then Romans ties it into us. And says how beautiful are your feet when you preach the good news. Now imagine yourself as one of these captives weeping by the river as of Babylon. And, and, and just being so homesick. And then someone comes over the mountain running towards you. And says, I've got good news of good things. I announce peace, happiness, salvation. Our God reigns. Imagine how beautiful his feet would be. Is that something to be embarrassed about? That's something to be just downright happy. This is our good news that we get to speak about. We're the... We're the ones that get to announce to those that have been in exile, separated from God. Kept away from Mount Zion. What does Hebrews 13 say? It says that Mount Zion is a really cool place. <laughs> Did I say Hebrews 13? I, I meant Hebrews 12. It says that, that, that Mount Zion is this wonderful place where we've already come, where there is a myriad of angels in festive gathering, like they're ready to party. And it says 
that we've come to this. There's, there's angels celebrating. It says that there are the, the, right, the saints made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. There is the church of the firstborn. There is the blood that cries out better things than the blood of Abel. This is the mountain we've come to. Mount Zion. And we get to tell the world, you were exiled, but you're going to be brought home. On that thought, can we just close with this, Psalm 126. Because I want to think, I want us to think about it differently. And I realize that we've been all over the place tonight. And I ask you to forgive me for that. But I want us to think. I want us to think about ourselves spreading the news as if we're spreading good news. You say, well, I do think of it as good news. I think of it as good news all the time. We sing the songs. We clap our hands. But I want you to fall in love with the message again. I want you to fall in love with the message of the gospel that is the power of God. I want you to fall in love with the fact that Jesus put it in your hands to spread. He put it in your mouth, the word of reconciliation. You're the one with the beautiful feet that gets to go and share good news of good things. You're the one who gets to say, be reconciled to God. You're the one who gets to say God wants you back he's not angry anymore his wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ now come back to God you're the one we were exiles we were strangers we were aliens but it says in Colossians that he brought us it says he himself is our peace it says he broke down the walls and it says that he nailed the enmity the thing that made us enemies with God, the things that made us enemies with each other. He put to death the enmity and it was nailed to the cross with him. Huge. Huge thought. It says in Psalm 126, as those captives came home, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. You ever, you ever feel like that? When you, when you got born again, and then you just think about how all the places that God has brought you since you were born again, where you came from, and where you've been taken into. Just like Peter said, that we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him. Sorry, I, I mixed this around. So that may, we may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, we were like those who dream. Then... Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Now, guys, if they're willing to do this just because they're brought back to a physical land and you've been brought back to the the spiritual Mount Zion, you've been brought back to God himself, you've been redeemed, bought back from captivity, bought back from exile, that's your life. You've been brought back. You've been raised from death to life. You've been, you've been resurrected. Don't you think it's like sometimes we're like those who dream. And then what does it say? Our mouth was filled with laughter. Because <laughs> if we really realize how good this is, you'll be laughing a lot more. Oh, many a country gospel song has been written about how hard this walk is. But when you know how good God is, mouth is filled with laughter if you read the book of acts they got beat and walked away rejoicing (laughs) this is not a sad life jesus it says 
was an, Hebrews 1 says he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brethren. Say, but he's the suffering servant. No one's known the misery. He suffered for you. He bore your shame on the cross. No one has suffered as much as Jesus suffered on that cross. And yet it says he did it for the joy set before him. And there is joy in soul willing, soul winning. Do you know what Paul said to the Philippians? You are my joy, my crown. Which means I know there's a reward for me because of you. And you're my joy. He said that rotting in one of the worst prisons of the Roman Empire. You're my joy and my crown. I rejoice because I know I got to be the one to share good news with you. Our tongue with joyful shouting. This is almost a little too crazy for us because we're Canadian. And we are not filled with joyful shouting unless somebody scores a goal. But this is better. This is better. Joyful shouting. Jesus said, I'm going to whisper to you stuff in secret and you're not going to go whisper it to other people. You're going to shout it from the rooftops. That's not fair. Why do you get to whisper and we have to shout it? No, you get to. It's a privilege. A mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said, among the nations, because they must have heard about something, the Lord has done great things for them. How do they know? They must have saw something, yes, but they probably heard something too. You've been shouting the whole time. We've been trying to sleep. But the Lord's done some great things for them. And what's the response? They respond, don't they? They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And they respond, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Wouldn't that be what the world should see? Now, they don't always understand. Sometimes they think the message of the gospel is foolishness. Sometimes they th- it's a stumbling block to them. Sometimes they don't see the joy you have as what it really is. But you know, when you're shouting about the good things God has done, when you're shouting about the wonderful thing He did through Jesus Christ, at some point they look and they go, the Lord's done great things for you. And your response is, the Lord has done great things for us and we're glad. We're glad about it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not saddened. I'm glad. Verse 4. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now to them, they, that meant something entirely different. But Jesus brought that home in John chapter 4. When he sent that woman away, telling her entire life story without, ever, ever, without having a conversation, he, he read her mail, told her exactly what she had done, who she was. And she went back and spread the news to the whole city, to the men of the city, because I don't think the women liked her too much. But it says the men got their wives, I'm, I'm assuming. But it says the men came out and the whole city came to Jesus. And Jesus was so excited about this as the city was coming. The disciples said, Master, you want some to And he's like, what are you talking about food right now? He goes, I don't have, I've got food you don't even know about. And they go, who slipped them some food? Goes, no, 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 no. He goes, my food. Now, what does food do for you? Satisfies you, gives you energy, 
gives you life, makes you happy. All of these things food is. And he says, you know what satisfies me? You know what gives me strength? You know what gives me life? You know what gives me enjoyment? My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, what was that work? 2 Corinthians 5 said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And at that moment, he was seeing a whole village come to him. He was seeing the work of God being done. And that was food to him. That was life to him. That was satisfaction to him. That was enjoyment. So much so, I can't think about pizza right now. The whole village is coming. And when they came, Jesus said, don't you know it's harvest time? He said, guys, stop looking at your feet. Stop looking at your work. Stop looking at your tools. He says, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They are white under harvest. He says, already, already, There's the sower and he's sowing and the reaper is reaping. And he says, the time is coming. The sower and the reaper are going to reap together. Rejoice over the harvest together. He says, they're going to rejoice over the harvest. The sower and the reaper together. And this is exciting to me because I realize that I'm one of those two. Often you get to play both parts and they rejoice together. Whether you're the one that sowed the seed or you're the one that got to bring it in, you rejoice because people are being reconciled to God. Our tongues were filled with joyful shouting. Our mouths were filled with laughter. We were like those who dream. And they said among the nations, the Lord's done great things for them, and the Lord has done great things for us. Fall in love with the gospel. I mean fall in love with the fact that you get to share this great news. And every time the enemy tries to tell you, as you walk through life and as you walk to your job, as you're going to your jobs, you're going to school, wherever you're going, and there's that thought in your head, they won't want to hear what I have to say. You realize that some won't, but Jesus does not judge you by who receives and who doesn't receive. You're simply meant to share it, and many will receive it with joy. Some, there'll be those that receive it on hard ground. There'll be those that receive it on thorny ground. There'll be those that receive it on rocky ground. But know this, that there will be those that come into the kingdom and they're going to look at you and say, your feet are beautiful to me because you were the one who brought the good news. I want to be a part of that. This is not a hard thing. I realize I'm preaching to a lot of you that have been born again for a good amount of time. There's some of you that are new at this. You know, I find that new believers still think this is really good news. They're often really quick to share it because they, they've just stepped out of death into life and they're fresh, they're fresh out of the tomb clothes and they realize this is good. But as David said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I want to be restored. I realize when you think back to where God has brought you, yeah, it's amazing. Don't lose that joy. And if you say, I find it hard to share the gospel, maybe the answer isn't to take another class. Classes are good. Instruction is fine. But one of the first things you've got to do is just fall back in love with the message of the gospel. Just fall back. Because, you know, you'd be surprised how easy it comes when you're excited about it. 
When it starts to get boring, you start to use your brain a lot and try to figure out ways to trick people into getting born again. Well, you can't be tricked into being born again. You either believe or you don't. <laughs> you can't trick anybody. You've got to believe. And in order to have that, you've got to realize God is making an appeal through me. This is not hard. If I let myself, He'll make me His ambassador. And He'll make His appeal to man through me. And the appeal is this. Be reconciled to God. Like I said, if you buy into what the media says, you'd think that the message of the gospel is, God says, get away, you're dirty and icky. But we find out that God's message is this. Come back. I want you back. That's the message we've been blessed enough to share. Get excited about it. Can we stand up? Oh, Lord, thank you for blessing us with that ministry, for committing to us the word of reconciliation, for giving us a ministry that is bigger than us. I ask you, Lord, to revive that joy in us, restore the joy of our salvation, that we'd feel and be able to speak and act like those captives that came back from Zion, and we'd be able to say, I feel like, I feel like I'm in a dream. My, I, I'm constantly finding myself filled with laughter. My tongue is shouting. I've got to shout about what Jesus has done. And they're going to say all around you, as you go into work, as you go in, into your uh, place of influence, they're going to say, the Lord must have done something good for you and you're going to respond the Lord has done good things for me and I'm glad now Lord if there are those here who've grown stale in that and let it let it kind of settle and, and, and find themselves having to try and push themselves to share the gospel Lord I want to thank thank you for those people thank you for their dedication thank you for their obedience but Lord will you restore to them the joy of their salvation, would you restore to them the joy of the message of the gospel that they could share it with joy, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but pure joy and love. That love that controls us. May we be filled with that love so that we'd see somebody hurting and we wouldn't say, I should go over to him. We would say, I have to go over to them because that love controls me. We know you've put us as you said, in the midst of a perverted and crooked generation so that we would shine like stars in the universe. Let us know. Show us, reveal to us just how great your resurrection power is. Just how great the power of the gospel is so that we would not be ashamed. We would not be ashamed. We'd be bold in Jesus' name. Amen.